0: Hello listeners, as an enhancement to your listening experience, I am now going to present these archive episodes unedited in their entirety, which includes all of my afterthoughts. So, continue listening after the outro music if you want to hear what I thought of the episode. And, if you are enjoying the podcast, please support it by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange Donate button or the Patreon link. And now I can also accept Zelle and Venmo. Just use my email address, spacerockethistory at gmail.com. Thanks. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy,
1: but because they are hard. you John Glenn. Roger, zero G,
2: and
1: I feel fine. I Okay, I'm on. How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? At last, huh? When that baby light, there's no doubt about it. Liftoff, We have a lift off. 32 minutes past the hour. Lift off on Apollo 11. Listen, uh, quality Base here. The Eagle has landed. That's one small step for me.
0: Hello and welcome. This is Michael and You're listening to episode 243 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Apollo 12, Translunar Injection and the Coast. Two men and an instrument unit saved the Apollo 12 mission less than a minute after launch. A young man barely out of college, John Aaron, and astronaut Al Bean. Out of all the engineers and flight controllers and designers near the radio, John Aaron was the only one with a clue of which of the hundreds of switches might restore all the control settings. But in the command module, only Al Bean knew where that switch was. The only one not surprised by that was Pete Conrad, who knew that he was not a detail man, but Al Bean was. Even if Al had not been a good pilot, but he was, he had helped save the entire Apollo 12 mission and earned his seat on the Yankee Clipper. With Yankee Clipper in Earth orbit, Mission Control had some time to analyze what had happened. Sig Soberg, Chris Kraft's deputy and a gifted and intuitive design engineer, was deeply concerned over the reports of a lightning strike hitting Apollo 12. He could visualize the havoc that a lightning strike could cause in the Apollo spacecraft, and he was very concerned over the inability to make a complete checkout of the command and service module and booster prior to the translunar injection. SIG walked down to the systems row of controllers, Talking briefly with guidance, then with ECOM, John Aaron. Moving into the trench, SIG approached Bostic. He said, Jerry, if you feel uncomfortable in any way about the translunar injection, speak out. Fidgeting a bit, he continued, I will support you if you give a no go today. SIG then left and moved to the booster controllers giving them the same speech. Chris Kraft, standing next to flight director Griffin, offered the same advice, saying, Young man, we don't have to go to the moon today. It's your call. The input of Kraft and Soberg immediately removed all political pressure from the decision. Griffin knew all he had to do was make the right technical call. There could be no other way. It was impossible to check out the entire spacecraft. That could only be done on the ground. In the short time available, Griffin's team ran a pre-maneuver checklist, realigned the command and service module platform, and discussed proceeding with the mission with the crew. About 19 minutes before the scheduled translunar injection burn, the astronauts received the word from mission control, that translunar injection was go. They were going to the moon. Everything that could be checked was okay. The third stage S4B booster would be used for the translunar injection burn.
1: Well, Houston, the good word is Go for TLI. Hope you do. We're ready. We didn't expect anything else. We didn't train for
0: anything, L.P. You better believe it. I'll tell you, Chair, we were just wondering if we'd for that watch either. Throughout the mission, Mission Control and North American, the Command and Service Module Contractor, continued to analyze the lightning strike, assessing any critical circuitry that might have been damaged or would prematurely fail. The pyrotechnic systems were the principal systems that could not be checked out since they would be needed only for normal entry. Their status had no bearing on the decision to go to the moon. John Aaron's SCE to Augs call became legendary and Flight Director Griffin survived his first launch. Now, Here are the audio clips for the translunar injection burn.
2: We're a minute and a half away from the translunar injection burn. Ignition at 247.21, cut off at 253.05. Burn duration of 5 minutes 44 seconds with... uh, V, or added velocity of 10,515 feet per second cutoff, we should have a total velocity of about 35,420 feet per second. And Apollo 12 should be at an altitude of about 195 miles at cutoff. We won't have data on this burn until about midway through it when Apollo 12 is acquired by the Hawaii station. We're thirty seconds from ignition. We should have ignition but we haven't heard from the crew yet. Voice communication through the Orion not too good. Should be thirty seconds into the burn now. Coming up on two hours fifty minutes elapsed time we should be acquiring Hawaii in approximately twenty-five seconds. We have uh, AOS from Hawaii now. Just the first signal, no data yet. Booster says he has no data yet.
1: Apollo 12 Houston through Hawaii. How do you read?
2: we have data and thrust is go. Burn looks good.
1: Apollo 12, Houston in the blind, your trajectory and the S-4 both look good. Roger, they look good here. Roger, we're reading you weak but clear now, Pete. Okay, everything's sticky, boo.
2: Good show. Flight dynamics says we're right on. Uh, telemetry data shows velocity 31,195 feet per second climbing rapidly. Altitude now 130 nautical miles. We're getting tracking data now in addition to telemetry. Predicted cutoff looks nominal, guidance reports. Velocity 32,700.
1: N- Everything's going here. Roger, Peach, your cutoff looks nominal. Looks good here.
2: 33,000 feet per second altitude one hundred fifty three nautical miles
1: smack on the line speed okay sir
2: velocity approaching thirty four thousand feet per second now and altitude one hundred seventy nautical miles this burn continuing to go extremely well thirty five thousand feet per second altitude one hundred eighty-seven nautical miles. Okay. Cut off.
1: EMS reads plus ten point two. The diskey reads three five four one three plus zero five zero zero three plus 01917. Roger Pete. Copy ten point two on your EMS. Diskey is three five four one three plus is zero five zero zero three and plus is zero one nine or one
2: seven Magic. we were predicting a cutoff velocity of thirty five thousand four hundred twenty feet per second the onboard uh, reading shows thirty five thousand four hundred thirteen feet per second uh, we showed cutoff altitude uh, on board as 191.7 nautical miles. We had predicted 195. Altitude is now 203 nautical miles. Velocity will start to drop off now while altitude continues to climb very rapidly. Follow 12,
1: Houston. Go ahead, Houston. Roger. Would you give us IU Uptell to accept? Uh, We want to close down a valve uh, on your uh, Locks valve on your O2H2 burner. Okay, it's an accept.
2: Altitude now 403 nautical miles. Veloc- Velocity is down to 34,426 feet per second.
1: Apollo 12 Houston, you can go back to block. we got your valve closed. Okay. And we're talking at you through Goldstone. Roger. Apollo 12 Houston, uh, your cutoff looked real good. Uh, we'll spend a little time now evaluating your mid-course for you. Okay. Earth is starting to get nice and round now. Can't see it all, but we can see a lot of it. Roger.
2: That sounded like Al Bean.
1: Uh, Apollo 12 Houston, your attitude maneuver time is 30804. And it'll be finished at 3 plus 12 plus 04. And we're looking at a separation time of
2: 3 plus 1 8 plus 04. I copy. Altitude now 781 nautical miles. Velocity down to 32,824 feet per second. Getting rid of all that propellant in the S4Bs brought the weight down to 138,389 pounds. We're at three hours into the mission now we passed up a separation time to the crew when the separate from the s four b at three hours eighteen minutes four seconds altitude now one thousand twenty three nautical miles velocity thirty one thousand nine hundred feet per second.
0: with the success of the critical trans lunar injection burn. The S-4B third-stage booster proved that it was not affected by the lightning strike. And now it was no longer needed. So the next critical maneuver was to separate the command and service module from the spacecraft Lunar Module Adapter, or SLA, that was currently sitting on top of the S-4B booster.
2: The booster engineer reports the S-4B has started maneuvering to the separation attitude.
1: Hello, Houston Apollo 12. Uh, We're on a timeline. We'll be stepping at uh, 318. Uh, Roger, Pete. Uh, How's the ice situation on your windows now? We've got awful bad with us. It's a shame because it's all the water that was on them and uh, it looks like it'll be with us for the flight. Bad news, Pete. It's okay. Can't win them all. Maybe I'll get out and clean them later.
2: Apollo 12 is three and a half minutes away from the Separation maneuver. Distance from Earth, 3,218 nautical miles. Velocity, 25,996 feet per second. Houston, pyro arm. Roger, 12. One minute from separation. We confirm separation.
1: We copy P.
2: Okay, we stepped. Altitude at separation was about 3,800 nautical miles. Booster engineer reports the S-4B stage nice and stable and looking good. Well, we can see the whole United States,
0: Houston. After separation, the command and service module needed to turn around and dock, with the lunar module now sitting on top of the third stage.
2: Command and service modules are now maneuvering into the docking attitude. I got an awful pretty looking
1: intrepid sitting out the window here. Gang, we'll go get her.
2: Roger. And Pete Conrad has seen the lunar module intrepid. Apollo 12 Houston, you're a go for docking.
1: Roger, Houston.
2: Apollo 12 is in docking attitude now.
1: Apollo 12 Houston, we're configured for television early if you want to punch it out. Okay, we're punching it up right now. Good show.
2: No picture yet, still standing by. Look down here, Houston. Nothing yet, Pete. Pictures coming in now. Should be uh, converted into color very shortly. Hello there, Intrepid.
1: 12 Houston, uh, black and white is spectacular and the color is really pretty good, too. Apollo 12, Houston. Uh, the camera's cutting off about half of Intrepid now. That's the best we could do. for right next to it. Roger. Uh, five feet.
2: Apollo 12, moving into dock with the lunar module.
1: You're looking right in the limb overhead window right now. Roger, Alan. The color is really great now. It's Dick Gordon smooth as silk. I think we just saw you grab it. On the way in, right now. You got a hard dock, Houston. She looks good. Both barber, I mean both uh, A and B are gray. All latches made. Roger, Pete. Looks good. 12, Houston. Uh, what was that just floated past the window? Uh, I don't really know, Houston. We were in here doing a checklist. Uh, we're seeing some little white flecks uh, floating past the window. Oh, we got a, we're in a great big cloud of ice balls up here. They're just all over everywhere and there's a lot of stuff Floating up out of the S 4B itself that looks like uh, ice or white paint chips, one of the two. Roger, we can even see it here. Hey, Jerry, Dick, how much fuel do I waste during that docking? Hang tight, Dick, we'll check. Uh, 12 Houston, uh, you were nominal, you used 70 pounds. That's too
0: much, that's too much. The ice floating around was most likely due to launching in the rain. At the end, you heard Dick Gordon asking how much fuel he had expended during the docking maneuver. Although Gordon wasn't too happy with it, 70 pounds was nominal. Next, the command module was used to pull the lunar module away from the third stage. We've set up Houston, it looked
1: good, and uh, of course, you still can't see anything yet. We'll catch you around and I'll show it to you. Roger, 12.
2: Uh, That was Al Bean reporting separation on time.
1: Apollo 12, Houston, Uh, we're copying television now. And uh, as soon as you finished with your ejection and you're clear, we'll go ahead and uh, enable the S4B evasive maneuver.
2: We do have the lines back up, and we are getting a picture now.
1: You see those flashes, Houston? That's the uh, RCS thrusters uh, reflecting off the quads on the limb. Roger. Oh, there's the S4B and I can see it venting. Roger 12, uh, when you're well clear and you're ready for us, let us know and we'll start the maneuver to the uh, evasive attitude. Boy, is that thing venting? What's it keep venting anyhow, Houston? It keeps throwing we're out not, big clouds or something. Roger, we're not supposed to be venting anything. Boy, it's throwing stuff off the sides and at the back like crazy. Roger, uh, can you get us a picture? We'll, we'll get you something on the TV if we can. It just uh, looks like it's venting something out of the rear end. <laughs> Big radio clouds of it coming out the back. That's really something.
0: The S-4B venting that Conrad mentioned was attributed to a liquid oxygen valve that had failed in the open position. Now... With the command and service module and the lunar module separated from the venting third stage, it was time to put some distance between the spacecrafts and the booster. Can you
1: see that thing throwing stuff out the back, Houston? We could a while ago, and it looks like it's got a halo around it now. Is it still there? Well, that's the sun shining in the front end. But uh, from the angle that we have on it, there's something venting. At the the, the app engines are on either side and the upper app engine the engine that's away from the earth uh no I'm not talking about that I'm trying to reference them to whatever it is that's fending back there it's a line see that line coming out of the engine over on the left hand side uh, 12 Houston we got a hunch that what happened is when that LOX valve uh, failed open and we tried to close it ourselves uh, it probably burnt out the burner Maneuver's complete, 12. Okay, What are you going to make the apps? Oh, hey, it just vented something tremendously. Can you see that, Houston? Yeah, we can see it now, Pete. Okay, Okay, uh, Houston, are you going to make that maneuver on time at 11.40? Again. Houston, are you going to make that maneuver on time at 11.40? Well, Houston, uh, we're looking at four two six plus one eight
2: for that burn. Roger, four two six plus one eight. Distance is fourteen thousand two hundred fifty two nautical miles from Earth. Velocity fifteen thousand five hundred fifty two feet per second.
1: We got the S four now. Twelve. Roger, are you uh, starting the maneuver? starting the step maneuver? That's affirmative, we're ready now. Okay, we're ready. College well, motors are on. Yeah, we can see it starting to move now, Houston. And the motor's firing. Well, roger. 12, Houston, the apps maneuver is complete. How much you figure you got out of that, Houston? About 10 feet per second, Dick. Uh, that's pre-planned. Did you really get that? Uh, 12 Houston, the burn was nominal. Uh, If the vehicle was a shade lighter, we might have gotten just a little bit more Delta V out of it. Okay, well that thing did a fantastic job for us today.
0: Sure did. With the major Earth vicinity maneuvers complete, it was time for the long translunar coast. It took about three days to coast across the distance between the Earth and the Moon. Although the crew was traveling fast, they remarked that it really didn't feel that way. The stars were still too far away to sense motion. The only sensation that they had of movement was the view of the Moon getting larger and the Earth getting smaller. Pete Conrad remembered the translunar coast as, quote, Kinda boring," Pete said. Everything was automated until they got to the moon, so there wasn't a lot to do other than shave and brush your teeth. To Pete, the command and service module didn't seem a lot bigger than the Gemini capsule, other than the three across couch, and the crawl space leading to the docked lunar module. There wasn't a great deal of elbow room nor privacy. It was a good thing this crew liked each other's company. Music had become a stable of space flights. The astronauts seemed to perform better when the stereo was on, and time seemed to pass quicker. They had cassettes given to them by record label owner Mickey Cap, and a player mounted in the bulkhead just like it was a car. Mission Control piped a few requests in during downtimes, Pete and Al preferred country. Dick wiggled and danced to Sugar Sugar by the Archies so many times that Al Bean was ready to scream. Just like boys on a long road trip arguing over the radio. Salutations from Southern Alabama. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode number two hundred and forty-three of the Space Rocket History Podcast entitled Apollo twelve Trans Lunar Injection and the Coast. Hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a pleasure to bring it to you. Want to give a big shout out to all my longtime listeners. Thanks for staying subscribed and extend a warm welcome to my new listeners. I'm glad you're here. In case you haven't heard the first forty-eight Episodes of the podcast are now available on the Space Rocket History Archive podcast. To find the archive episodes, search for Space Rocket History Archive. Today, we salute the Mercury level donors. There are 34 so far this year. Mercury donors contribute $20 or more during the calendar year. Thanks for your continued support, Mercury donors. Had a few afterthoughts about this week's episode. There was Not much information available on the translunar injection and the coast for Apollo 12, but I was able to sift through about three and a half hours of audio to give you those highly edited clips. They were cut up pretty much because there was a lot of dead space in there and a lot of stuff that was not really relevant to what I wanted to present. Unfortunately but did not have any of the internal crew conversations, and that was really disappointing. I could not find that anywhere. But we did get the back and forth between Houston and the capsule. Well, I thought mission control took a risk on proceeding with the mission with the limited information they had. As I spent most of my career as an electrical engineer, and we were always taught to design conservatively, That's why I found it a little surprising a bunch of engineers would have said go. But that is from my limited perception. I'm sure they had a lot of pressure to go. That was a lot of expensive hardware they just launched. And ultimately, they did make the right decision. That Saturn proved to be very robust. But I wonder, would we have made the same decision today? I don't know. Would we have gone for the moon? I don't know if I would have been that aggressive, but it turned out great for Apollo 12. I want to give a shout-out to and a thank you to Garden Fork Radio Podcast. Jimmy and Eric over there had some very kind words for the podcast on episode 464, and I wanted to thank them very much for the mention And all the kind words. If you get a chance, check out the Garden Fork Radio Podcast. Also, I want to mention I got a very thoughtful gift from a listener, Jason C. He thought that the Space Rocket History Podcast deserved a mission patch. Just like a regular space mission. And so he created one. It looks super nice. It shows the Earth, the Moon, and Mars with a Saturn V rocket flying between them. I'm going to put it up on the fan art tab at the Space Rocket History homepage. So check that out if you get a chance. And also, check out the pictures and audio for this episode at the homepage, spacerockethistory.com. I was pleased to receive several new donations to support the podcast over the past week. Jason C. from Australia donated at the Orion level and earned his rocket emoji. Matthew B. from the U.K. donated at the Apollo level. Stephen M. from California donated at the Mercury level and earned his satellite emoji. PJW increased his pledge on Patreon to the shuttle level with rocket and moon emojis. Josh A. pledged on Patreon at the Gemini level. Andrew F. pledged on Patreon at the Mercury level and earned his rocket emoji. And Adam D. pledged on Patreon at the Mercury level. Our Patreon totals so far this year are at 155, with a goal of reaching 218 for 2018. And our overall donors for 2018 have reached 187, with a goal of reaching 418 in 2018. For those of you who are enjoying the content provided here and have not donated yet in 2018, Please consider supporting the podcast if you're financially able. Keep in mind, Space Rocket History is entirely listener-funded. There are several ways you can donate. The easiest thing to do is to go to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com, and click on the orange Donate button or the Patreon link. It'll be on the right side of the page. For those of you who have already donated for 2018, I certainly appreciate it. Have an item To give away this week, it is the official Space Rocket History logo vinyl refrigerator magnet. It has the picture of the official SRH logo with the rockets. To select the winner, I gave every 2018 donor a number. I put the range in the Google's random number generator and got the number for Buddy P. Murphy, Buddy Murphy, if you would email me, mike at com, and tell me your address, and I will mail this out to you. Okay, folks, thanks for putting up with me this week. I've been battling an illness all week, and I'm about wiped out right now. So, I hope to have episode number 244 posted by next Thursday. So long for now.